0: Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And this is Antiques Freaks. The cool podcast
1: for cool guys. What antiques are we talking about this week? So I was going to talk about Napco China. Thank you to antique freak friend Yvonne for asking. Thank you, Yvonne. What is it? Napco, or National Potteries Corporation, was a company that made, as you might have guessed, a variety of potteries. It was like mostly in service of the kitsch and novelty market. Does it have a distinctive appearance? No, that's the fun thing. Oh, no. Uh, (laughs) So, for the most part, it does. When people hear NAPCO or think about NAPCO, what they are picturing are these, like, distinctly mid-century 1950s, almost like Disney animation style, like, characters. That is what they are best known for, and probably what they made the most of. Honestly, the company made a little bit of everything. Accurate copies of historical antiquities, for some reason. Realistic figurines of dogs and other animals. Sculptures of celebrities, which were eerie, because they always are. And, perhaps most notably, head vases. They made a lot of head vases. Oh, hey! We did an episode on those. Yeah, and I believe I mentioned Napco in them, actually. Probably. One fun thing about Napco is that it accidentally, in addition to, of course, it absolute mountain of other factors, was more or less responsible for shutting down the original head vase makers... Ceramic Art Studio and Betty Lou Nichols Ceramics. Oh, how'd they do that? Well, they opened in Bedford, Ohio in 1938. Ohio, of course, being an area recognized as a very serious industry center for pottery in general. And for a while from then, they were making their own original in-house products that was mostly vases and planters. However, after World War II ended, they found out that there was a hell of a lot more money in importing Japanese-made goods. So, starting from the late 1940s to the early 1950s, they slowly shifted over to almost exclusively importing Japanese-made ceramics. Interestingly enough, specifically from Nagoya and Sito. And after a while, their entire MO just became, copy what is popular. So eventually, in addition to other importers, because none of them were actually makers, they were all Japanese importers, things like Inarco and Enesco They kind of crushed the original head vase makers out of the market by flooding it with cheap similars. And
0: as they did it, did they say, I'm crushing your skull, I'm crushing your head, I'm crushing you?
1: (laughs) God, that bit is, like, evergreen. It's so good.
0: It's never not good.
1: Ironically, Inarco was a company born out of one of the founders of Napco, leaving to create a rival company, which I thought was just kind of funny. Like, later in the 1980s, Napco would repurchase Inarco when it folded, and then Napco itself would fold in the 1990s. Huh. Sort of. They were rebirthed as a kind of Teleflora-style mass-market production of planters, for florists largely. But the Napco that we all know from Kitsch was dead. I'm not gonna play taps. Oh. You didn't get my notes? I sent the notes to play taps. I know, I'm sorry. Did you trade your tuba? My trumpet is in storage. Damn it. Okay. <laughs> so... So the cutie Kitsch cartoony thing that Napco started doing was actually very purposefully copying Lefton Ceramics, a company that which did predate Napco.
0: Did they call it that because they sold you just whatever they'd left in the kiln?
1: (laughs) Heyo. God, I wish (laughs) they thought of that. (laughs) They should hire me. The guy who founded Lefton had like a crazy name. I'm pretty sure his middle name was Zoltan. Sorry, what? Yeah. You can just do that? Yeah, George Zoltan Lefton. Is that allowed? It's allowed. That was the name that man went by. Man, they'll just do anything in Ohio, huh? Yeah, he went by Geo for some reason. Like, like he st- he shortened George to Geo because it was significantly less embarrassing. Yeah, G- you, yeah, you think Geo Zoltan is easier to explain to people than George? Yeah, all right. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Just ask Washington. I like your idea way better. Geo <laughs> <laughs> Washington. Yeah, our favorite president. That one. So, as I have suggested, they didn't really have what you would call a strong identity, despite the fact that most people who enjoy their works kind of have a focus on something that they like best from them. Well, there's so much to choose from. So much, so much. And you know, you know why there was so especially so much at the time? Because Disney hadn't basically invented copyright law yet. Oh.
0: So we can just do whatever.
1: It was pretty easy to do whatever, and it was a lot cheaper to do whatever. Copywriting designs was expensive and time-consuming, and nobody got into the like Japanese importing game because they wanted to take their time and do things ethically. So as a result, neither NAPCO, Lefton, Inarco, Inesco... None of those had anything copyrighted, which becomes a huge issue in terms of market saturation because you could see something that someone had made that had become popular and point for point copy it. So they are the Christmas tree shop to Etsy? Very much the Christmas tree shop to Etsy. They would sometimes just buy figurines from another company and then make a mold from it.
0: Again, seeing a lot of Christmas tree shop parallels
1: to actual artists and crafts. (laughs) True. Particularly with Lefton. These sort of juggernauts are Lefton versus Napco because they were the most high-producing pair. Kind of had a Disney DreamWorks thing going on. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. There have been figurines found that use the exact same number system as the corresponding one. If you found a planter that had a Napco label and 1399, you could also find the same thing with a left-in label with one three nine nine because they were also copying the serial numbers.
0: So it's can I copy your homework? Yeah, just change it a little so it's not obvious. But they just don't even bother.
1: Well, sometimes the paint colors were different. Oh, okay. So you know there would be like a like a cutie pie kitchen piece, and she would have blonde hair instead of a uh, brown-haired one. Which, by the way, yeah, Napco did popularize a line of kitchenware that was just little girls' heads.
0: Huh. Okay.
1: I sometimes feel like society has turned a blind eye to the casual grotesquerie of many kitsch items. I thought the whole
0: appeal of kitsch was liking it despite the fact that it's obviously grotesque. It is now. At the
1: time, I don't know what was going on. Valium, mostly. (laughs) I'm wondering if it's like one of my great quests in life. like, sort of start to narrow down the reasons that what happened with Kitsch happened to start.
0: Oh, I have a reason, and that reason is Quaaludes.
1: (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm slotting that into, like, this is, like, a Connect Four, and I'm slotting in Quaaludes first. That's, like, the bedrock of this (laughs) theory. (laughs) And it's gotta be other factors. (laughs) I don't know that there has
0: to be other factors, I think. I think you just get on some Quaaludes and you look at a gold-painted kitten ceramic pot and you think, Yeah, this might as well be in my living room. (laughs)
1: I mean, so my entire decorating principle is to go, ha, yeah, that'd be pretty funny. Can you tell I don't do drugs? <laughs> <laughs> I've never noticed even once that you don't buy drugs. <laughs> I just assumed you didn't buy drugs because you don't buy anything off of the the home shopping network. <laughs> Have you ever done
0: a weed? Write in antique streaks podcast at gmail You know. <laughs>
1: So the biggest question is, how do you tell NAPCO apart from any of the other stuff being imported from Japan at the time? Especially when they just copy-pasted all of it. I'm very disappointed to tell you that there's really not a lot I can teach you, but I'll try. Do your best. One of the compounding issues with identifying NAPCO versus literally any other company, particularly Lefton, is that they didn't always use what you would call a transfer label. That would be a label that had been inked on prior to firing and was permanent. Sometimes, they would just use a paper label. Oh no. Oh no, indeed. And once that paper label rubbed off, if there wasn't a transfer label underneath it, you would be left, if you were lucky, with a serial number. But notably, these serial numbers don't always correspond to literally anything. Sometimes they were just numbers. Most commonly, the the numbers on the bottom would also just sort of correspond to if it was a part of a set. And you could identify other set pieces by whether or not they had the same number. But this is meaningless, you know, roughly 50 years in the future when we're trying to figure out what is what. (laughs) So, hopefully, it will be transfer marked, because those are the easiest. The transfer mark would either read NAPCO, NAPCO China, a NAPCO collection, NAPCO Ware Import Japan, or National Potteries Co. Cleveland, Ohio. This is different from Lefton, because it is not the word Lefton. You
0: don't say! Thanks for coming to the podcast!
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sources for this episode include... NAPCO also operated as giftware... So giftware is a dead giveaway that it's actually a Napco piece. It was just giftware or gift craft. Both of those terms were used interchangeably. Now
0: what is giftware and or gift craft?
1: It is literally just a Napco piece that has been differently labeled. I tried to find a reasoning, a business reason for this. I assume it's tax sheltering. What? They just sometimes made pieces and said this is a different company, but it's ours. Oh. Yeah. Not a lot of rhyme or reason that I could dig up. You can do that? You can. Just make pottery and tell lies? Yeah. As you file your taxes. Oh. And actually, I don't even know that that was happening because this was still occupied Japan. Oops. Which is another marking you can look for. Unfortunately, <laughs> almost everything being made during the occupation was marked occupied Japan for exportation reasons and indicates nothing about the specific brand it was being produced. The occupation of Japan was 1945 to 52, although Napco would not get into the game until 1956. So anyone who claims to have a piece older than that is lying. There are sometimes marks that are P-Y or N-C. Unfortunately, these marks were also meaningless and applied to too many Japanese export pieces. But it's a NAPCO if it's in green. Because green is the color of their energy? That's just the ink they had when they were marking things P-Y for Miao in Japan. Or N-C, which I don't know what it stands for. Probably another province in Japan. Another interesting fact is that a gift craft piece, if it is not marked gift craft, and some other related NAPCO wares have some numbers that turn up on them and nowhere else, usually starting with a C or an M, such as M452, or numbers starting with S-T-A-X together and B. Or G-E. General Electric? General Electric. Does this sound extremely arcane? Yes. So... There is no reliable way to tell them apart from left in pieces. I'm so sorry. This comes up a lot, but I do sometimes cock an eyebrow at it because one of the good things, one of the pleasant things, is that the paper tags, which were far more common, which would say either Napco or a Napco collection or Napco originals by giftware or National Pottery's Co-Cleveland, Ohio, made in Japan or Napco Ware, import Japan, or just Napco China. The paper labels, these were... Largely just decorative pieces, not many of them had a function, so the stickers do tend to stay on. I actually have seen a lot of pieces that had the stickers still. You know, these aren't necessarily cups and plates. A lot of these pieces, being just kish and decorware, just didn't lose their tags. I would say you can feel pretty confident in that most of the pieces I've encountered have had their tags intact, because these aren't practical pieces that are being used every day. They generally just sit on a shelf. Another thing you can do, although this is going to become more and more difficult as time goes on, don't ask me how I got a hold of my copy, you can check out Laner's Encyclopedia of U.S. Marks on Pottery, Porcelain, and Clay. Or, more specifically, you can check out Napco, A Schiffer Book for Collectors, by Kathleen Deal. That's D-E-E-L. I say that one's a little bit difficult. That is one of the unfortunate many collector's books that is out of print and only exists in print. And has never been digitized. Prices are like decent. I believe you can get a fairly damaged copy for about 20 bucks. But generally looking you're going to be around paying anywhere from 40 to 100 dollars for a copy. So I hope you like Napco a lot because the benefit that this has is this book does have listings of numbers found on the bottom of Napco pieces where the labels might have fallen off or even if they hadn't been marked at all. And it matches up those numbers to Napco pieces so you can almost definitively figure out if it's Napco or left-in. Everything they have archived are numbers that are exclusive to Napco, do not have any crossover, and it can be very helpful. Um, There's also a lot of nice pictures, so I suppose keep your sharp little eyes on the used book sales. Some of the most popular Napco pieces include their Christmas lines, probably the most numerous and highest crossover with other companies, unfortunately. They kind of look like how you expect. It sort of looks like the guy who did Elf on a Shelf made all of it. And the extremely copied Birthday Angel series. Oh, God. Yeah, these are just angels that are dressed in clothes that kind of represent the season and have the month and a gemstone on them. They were very, very, very popular, and the crossover between those and leftins is very high. However, those are usually actually transferware marked.
0: What do you get the man who has everything? A birthday angel. A horrible little porcelain gremlin, vaguely painted in the colors of his birth month. <laughs>
1: wow. Wow, what a scary way to say that, Ken. Thank you. You're
0: welcome.
1: While I was looking into those, I also found a much more horrifying version of this called like the calendar babies. Oh, God. Which are like mostly naked and holding things related to months. Ah, ah, eh. Yeah, it makes you love a head vase in comparison, you know?
0: I mean, was that their goal to make people appreciate everything else they put out by menacing them (laughs) with these little gremlins?
1: (laughs) I think their goal was to make as much money as possible by releasing so much stuff that it was almost physically impossible to get through a store without buying something they owned. Fair. As for prices, it tends to be extremely low. Specific collectors of NAPCO and not just MCM Kitchen General are kind of few and far between by the, maybe the existence of a single book from the 1990s will prove that. I mean, you know. Prices get higher when there are more specific and driven collectors. So a lot of it is based on the amount of novelty the piece represents. Um, Alice in Wonderland pieces, for example, tend to go a little higher, uh, talking like 20s to 30s, just because that's crossover collectability. Other than that, there are so many of these things that even the extremely popular birthday angels are maybe 12 to $15 a piece. Damn. Which, it does make these really great collectible if you like kitsch, if you kind of like the mid-century look. These are wonderful. You can find them. They're very widespread. They have uh, extremely cheap buy-in. You will not be able to resell them. <laughs> they, they are not super desirable all the time, except to very specific groups. But they can be a lot of fun.
0: You're better off investing in Ray
1: Dunn. And I have a dark thing to admit to you. You've already invested in Ray Dunn? I've already invested in Ray Dunn. I talked to her. I own stock now. <laughs> I do not think that she has stock. Wait, hold on. Brief man break done stocks.
0: You're just going to find some crypto bro trying to sell you a fraction of a mug that says sip on it.
1: She does not have stocks. Okay.
0: Yet. Yet. However, all of her pieces are investments. Buy low, sell high.
1: And sell fast because this is the Beanie Baby bubble, baby. (laughs) Didn't practice saying that pretty proud of myself for pulling it off. Well done. Well done indeed. (laughs) But no, my dark admission is that as the years go on, I become more and more enamored of kitsch Christmas items. That's called Stockholm Syndrome. No, I like them because they infuse with me a sense of sort of... They are more horror than horror. And you are the biggest horror fan
0: I know, so yeah, that does track.
1: (laughs) Everything about them is just slightly wrong. The design choice is just slightly strange. That they become this uncanny valley area for me that I've come all the way around on and I just sort of enjoy their, their suspicious beady little eyes and their mouths too wide. We are talking to the only
0: person I know with a shutter account. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> I, yeah. So, I don't know. That, I think that's, you know, I think it's wonderful to see the beauty and things that you didn't previously appreciate. I apologize if that um hurt anyone's feelings that likes this stuff. I just like it in a different way than you.
0: Rest assured, this opinion is coming from someone who regularly has marathons of the Cube series, including Hypercube.
1: (sighs) The first Cube is a masterpiece of filmmaking, and that's all I'll say on the subject. You met your boyfriend by watching A Haunting in Connecticut. I'm not going to go ahead and call that one a masterpiece, but it did give us a pretty fun episode, didn't it? It did. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that is Napco. The more you know. Sources for today include... Napco, a Shiffer Book for Collectors by Kathleen Deal. mizfooty.blogspot.com. Brief History of Inarco, Lefton, and Napco. Laner's Encyclopedia of U.S. Marks and Pottery, Porcelain and Clay by Lois Laner. just realized how funny that name was. Uh, <laughs> HarryRinker.com, C-O-L-1567. And Figurines-Sculpture.com, as well as CollectorsWeekly.com, Figurines, Napco.
0: If you would like to suggest an episode topic or just say hello, you can email us directly at antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. You can post in our Facebook group, Antiques Freaks Friends, or you can tag us on Tumblr at
1: antiquesfreaks.tumblr.com. If you liked everything you've heard today, most of it, some of it, please feel free to scroll on down to wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave us a hearty review. Any kind of review helps get our dizzle tones into a variety of listening ears. Or if you are listening on an app that does not allow
0: you the option to review, You can always post about us on social media.
1: Or tell a person in real life they don't even have to be someone you know.
0: I mean, ideally we're not harassing strangers with this podcast, but you
1: know. Oh, it's not harassing strangers if you just wear a sandwich board that says, my favorite podcast is Antiques Freaks and yours should be too. (laughs) (laughs) What we're saying is you
0: have options. (laughs) That's all I'm trying to say. If you would like to purchase a variety of vintage goods, or perhaps even t-shirts and stickers with the podcast logo on them, you can check out our Etsy at etsy.com slash shop slash antiquesfreaks. And if this episode has not yet sated your hunger this week for Antiques Freaks content, head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks, where we are chapter by chapter reading and reviewing the Victorian penny dreadful Varney the Vampire. And if you like vampire lore, do not sleep on this. The vampires surely won't. <laughs> they can't. Special shout out to our patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love. So much love. And thank you in particular for listening.
1: That's right. You. Au revoir. Goodbye.